Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 12. We've been in a series in the book of Genesis titled Origins. And this series, the goal has been to walk through uh, the first 11 chapters of, of the book of Genesis. But here we are in chapter 12, and this is our, our last talk in this series. Um, but I felt like it was very important for us to dip into chapter 12, and I, I trust you'll see why in a few moments. Where does your inspiration to press forward in faith and obedience to God come from? When the odds are stacked against you, when hope seems lost, when you have no idea how God will make a way, well, it's against the dark backdrop of Genesis chapters 3 through 11 that God chooses one man to leave what he knows behind and to hold on to divine promises. What we find is that this is God's answer to the brokenness of humanity. It's a totally unexpected and seemingly weak rescue plan that provides all the inspiration we could hope for. So let's explore it together in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. For the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. We'll pause there. Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would, Lord, help us to see all that you have for us in this story here in Genesis. Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things in your word today. That we'd be drawn, Lord, close to you, that we'd be inspired, that we would be given all that we need to move forward, to press on in faith and obedience, trusting you, holding on to promises. We thank you for your word. Guide us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. There are four things I pray we see in this, this narrative here, this story. First, God's call of Abram to leave what he knows. Second, God's promises for Abram to hold on to. Third, Abram's courageous faith and obedience. And then finally, God's seemingly weak rescue plan. First, God's call of Abram to leave what he knows. You know, this, this story here in Genesis is a turning point. 
it, it moves us from that wide-angled lens of chapters 1 through 11 to a narrow-angled lens beginning here in chapter 12, taking us all the way through to the end of Genesis chapter 50. You know, after the account of the Tower of Babel in, in chapter 11, the rest of chapter 11 presents the line of Shem, Noah's son. And it brings us many generations into the future, centuries into the future. And, and it zooms in on the life, the family of one man, Abram. Now here he's called Abram. We might know him as Abraham. And he'll be given that name uh, in a few chapters. And, and, and there's some important backstory uh, that we find in chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. I want us to read it. It says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Naor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Naor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, in Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, here are, are pieces of, of Abram's backstory. You know, every family has its drama and hardships, right? Now, this one is no different. So Terah has three sons, Abram, Haran, and Naor, and we're told actually that Haran died in the presence of his father. So think grief, think heartache, right? And then we're told Abram's wife, Sarah, is barren. Think sadness, frustration. We're told Terah takes his family, who now Terah seems to be responsible for his grandson Lot after his son dies. He takes them on this strenuous and dangerous journey from the city of Ur to the land of Canaan. This is a, a thousand-mile journey. But then he stops in a city called Haran, 400 miles short of his intended destination. And we're not told why. We're not told why he, he journeyed to, to the land of Canaan or had this desire to go to Canaan. Not yet. And we're not told why he stops. And then he dies. It's against the dark backdrop of Genesis chapters 3 through 11 and against the drama of Abram's family that we're given verse 1 in chapter 12. Let's read it again. Now the Lord said or had said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So at this point, we don't know anything else about Abram besides what we've read in chapter 11. We don't know how God spoke to him here in this verse. There's a lot of detail that's left out. We don't know how long he's known the living God, the creator God, Yahweh, and that's okay. What do we know? God calls Abram. Actually, he commands Abram. He tells him to go, to literally leave, which is a Hebrew expression meaning determined disassociation, to separate oneself. 
Leave what you know, leave what is comfortable, leave this place that has provided so much security and identity and for so long, abandon it, forsake it. Leave the comfort of what's familiar, Abram. Leave the tradition and the ways of your father. I believe this was spoken when Abram was still in the city of Ur. And there's, there's reason for that belief when Stephen is, is proclaiming in, in Acts chapter 7 the truth of redemption, and he tells the story of Abram. He mentions Ur and how Abram was called out of Ur. Uh, Ur was a prosperous and sophisticated city. It, it was located on the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. It was a powerful city in, in southern Babylon. It was, according to one historian, a marvel of architecture and design with broad paved streets and underground sewage systems, middle and upper classes living in large multi-storied houses. There was uh, running water, both cold and, and hot water. This was a happening place, a cultural hub. It wasn't an easy city to leave. There were also a number of temple towers like the one we learned about in, in chapter 11, there were temple towers in Ur dedicated to the moon god and other gods, celestial gods, and these were central to the city's activity and to the citizens of Ur. In fact, in Joshua 24, verse 2, uh, as Joshua is recounting the story of redemption and what God has done through the nation of Israel, he says of, of, of Terah, of Abram's father, that they served other gods. They were idol worshipers. They were worshiping false gods. So here they are in Ur of the Chaldeans, a Babylonian city with temple towers, and Abram is being called out. He's being called out of it. Leave it behind, God is saying to him. And this is the beginning of God's restoration project. This is the beginning of God's rescue plan for humanity. No one can answer why God called this man, Abram, at this time. Here he is, an idolater in the city of Ur. You see, it's God's sovereign choice and divine wisdom to do this, to call this man. It's also an expression of his grace, start to finish. It's grace. And the same is true of you and I. God's call on our lives to be called out of darkness, out of shame, out of idolatry, out of giving ourselves um, and centering ourselves on ourselves, which leads to just frustration. It's, it's futile. Abram is called out of that. So are we. You know, Ephesians tells us it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. From, it's, it's all grace, start to finish. Grace is undeserved favor and blessing. That's what we're seeing here. This is how God calls Abram. It's so unexpected, so undeserved. But God's call, his command to leave the comforts of Ur and the traditions of his father, it doesn't come alone. It's immediately followed with some hard-to-grasp promises. And it's spoken in a way that feels like covenant. It feels like a pledge, an agreement, because, well, that's what it is. And so second, we see God's promises for Abram, and they're to hold on to. Let's read again in verse 2. 
God says to Abram, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Covenant, we've learned this with Adam and Eve and with Noah. Covenant is about relationship. So here God is speaking to Abram and here God is, is making promises to Abram. This is self-disclosure. This is revelation. God speaking, God declaring, actually God obligating himself to Abram. What does he say? I will make, I will bless, I will bless, I will curse. Did you catch the repeated refrain of blessing found in these three verses? Five times, actually in two verses. Bless, what's he mean? This is God's favor and abundance and fruitful life and multiplication. It's promised to Abram that he will become a great nation. Hold up, time out. How? We've learned in the backstory that Sarah, his wife, is barren. He's 75 years old. So Abram's faith from the start is being tested. Yeah, I'm sure as, as soon as Abram heard these promises, a wrestling match began in his heart. And you might be thinking, really? This is God's rescue plan for humanity? A 75-year-old man steeped in an idolatrous culture with a barren wife? It all seems so fragile. Oh, keep reading. It's even more fragile than that. At every turn of the page, Abram's faith is tested one obstacle after the next, and he, he makes the, the, the poorest decisions that apart from God would have just totally jeopardized this rescue operation. We read the story, it produces a lot of head shaking. Like, oh my. But honestly, that should encourage us all. It, sh- it should encourage us all. Despite Abram's failures and frustrations, despite our failures, God is able, in the midst of that, to do what he promises. And he promises that a great nation will come from Abram. And he promises to make Abram's name great. How ironic. After we we just learned in chapter 11 of a people who attempted to be great apart from God. And here God is deciding to make Abram great. Great in numbers, great in significance. Abram will be known. His character and his life will be known. He'll be held up as an example to follow. Not in every way, but in some very important ways. You know, throughout the Bible, God reveals himself this way. The God of Abraham. Or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac being Abraham's son, and then Jacob being Isaac's son, whose Jacob's name was changed to Israel when he wrestled with God. And through Jacob, all the tribes of Israel, his sons, and this nation formed after they were led into the land of Egypt because of a drought, 70 people, a family of 70. And after 400 years in Egypt, thousands hundreds of thousands made that exodus out of egypt and a nation is born you see 
Abram is referred to, or throughout the Bible, God is, is, is identified with Abraham. What a privilege for Abraham. Think about that. But also, when we think about this phrase, the God of Abraham, it should help us remember that, oh, God keeps his promises. God is radically committed to his promises. See, Abram is chosen, and Abram will be blessed in order to be the means through which God will bless the nations. So so listen, Abram isn't God's endgame. No, this is just the beginning. This is God's missionary strategy. Bless in order to be a blessing. It's happening still, church. Verse three, God says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so how will this all play out? Well, it's not made clear. Not at this point. In fact, I think the story creates some suspense. It keeps us anticipating wanting to turn the page and say, hey, how's God going to do this? But what we see here in these couple verses, verses two and three, is what's often referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. And I want you to see other areas in the story of Genesis where God promised these things to Abram. Look with me in Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, where he says this. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Wow. Turn with me to chapter 15, verse 5. God appears to Abram in a vision. And it says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, now chapter 17, beginning in verse one. When Abram was 99 years old, some years down the road here, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant, my promise is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Okay. The Abrahamic covenant. What we're learning here, church, is that Abram would become the covenant representative of those who live by faith in God's promises. These promises are given against the dark backdrop of mankind's downward spiral of sin and shame. Remember, we've With every story, every narrative in Genesis 3 through 11, we've learned of that downward spiral of mankind's sin and shame. We've also learned of God's incredible patience and grace and and, and justice and mercy, but we've learned for sure of of mankind's downward spiral of sin and shame. And it's in in the face of chaos, it's in the midst of defiance, it's in the midst of hopelessness and despair 
that God gives Abram promises to hold on to. Now, these promises that God gave to Abram were meant to inspire. Now, what do I mean by inspire? Well, the word inspire is, it means an animating action or influence. An animating action or influence. What animates your faith and obedience? What moves you? What drives you? The promises that God gave Abram were meant to inspire him, were meant to provide the strength and the desire and the passion to actually press on in faith and obedience. God's promises are meant to do that for you and I. Are we holding on to what God has said? Like it's as good as done. I'm going to hold on to these promises. Is God's word directing you? Is it inspiring you? Do his promises inspire you? You know, as I was preparing this sermon this week, I'm just, I'm praying, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, you, this is so inspiring. I, I want to be inspired by this more and more, Lord. I'm going to see not only how you've kept your promises to Abram, but how you've kept them to me. Do his promises inspire you? All right, how does Abram respond? Well, number three, Abram's courageous faith and costly obedience. Verse four, we're told, so Abram went. I love it. So Abram went. He left. He did it. You ever have someone say, hey, one day I'm going to get out of this city. I'm going to move to whatever, you know. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." And then they actually do it. I'm like, well, 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 look who actually did what they said. Abraham went. We aren't told if, if Abram wavered or wrestled a while. We aren't told how long it took for him to actually move out of Ur. I think this is what motivated the entire family to move. But they, they stopped in Haran. But what we know here is that he obeyed. He took a bold and courageous step, which, listen, required just a thousand smaller decisions along the way. And isn't that true of us? When we take bold and courageous steps uh, by faith in, in God, and, uh, I mean, a lot, it, it requires so many uh, steps along the way, decisions uh, along the way. But he did this in response to God's command and in response to God's promises. Abram believed those promises against all odds. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? God calls us to live a life of faith and obedience. Our obedience to the Lord, to his word, it really testifies to our faith. And we can say we believe all day. We can say that we have faith in God's word and in his promises, but our obedience is a testimony to that faith. Are you seeing the role that God's promises are meant to have in your life? Do they inspire you to step out in faith and obedience? Is there compromise and indifference in your life when it comes to God's word, to what God has called you to do, to how God has called you to live for his glory? Are you wavering there? Maybe today God is, is, is getting in your way and saying, hey, now's the time. Now's the time. Abe and family go to the land of Canaan. They end up in the city of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. This is a sacred site. Uh, Canaanite 
some kind located in the heart of the land of Canaan. It was known as a place of decision. And it's here in the midst of the promised land that God had promised to Abram that the Lord appeared to Abram. And he said this, to your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram, he looks around. He notices the land is occupied. Um, and he's probably wondering in this moment, okay, wait, um, my wife is barren and this land is occupied. But here's, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't surrender to unbelief. What does Abram do? In the face of obstacles and in the face of circumstances that he doesn't have an answer to and that he can't control, Abram builds an altar. He worships. And in building an altar in in the face of obstacles and circumstances that he could not control, what's he saying? I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I'm holding on to what you've promised. I don't have an answer for my, my wife's barrenness. I don't have an answer for how you're going to give me this land but I worship you and I trust you. Now, what does the New Testament say about that kind of response? Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, check it out, not knowing where he was going. Okay, all right, I'm going to go. I don't know exactly where this is leading, but I trust you, Lord. You might be in that place. In fact, anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus, uh, you know, that's that's where we begin. Okay, Lord, I I trust you. I I don't know where this is going to take me. I I don't have to know everything, but Lord, I, I trust you. Look at verse nine. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and these are his his sons, his grandson, heirs with him of the same promise. It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the immeasurable grains of sand by the seashore. Beautiful faith. Look with me in Romans. Romans chapter four. In Romans chapter four, verse 18, Paul testifies of Abraham this way. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is how the New Testament speaks of Abraham. 
Abram openly and courageously worships Yahweh right there. He brings the Lord exclusive and unashamed worship in the heart of the promised land, in the presence of a people who themselves were deeply uh, steeped in, in idolatry, Abram builds an altar, an altar to the one true God. Now, altars are places of sacrifice and obedience. Altars are places of worship and dependence. This altar would be, in the midst of the land of Canaan, a monument to Yahweh's faithfulness. And in that moment, in that moment, Abraham Abram, knowingly or not, what does he do? He plants a flag in the ground declaring God's presence and rule. And how does he do this? Through this expressed dependency and worship, through this expressed faith in what God will do. Abram continues his tour of the land. It began in the north, ends in the south. He builds another altar. In verse 8, we're told that uh, he called upon the name of the Lord. This, this communicates intimacy and relationship and worship. This is public testimony. This is personal dependence. And this is a pattern in Abram's life. Another flag planted. I'm leaning on you, Lord, trusting in your promises. I recognize your presence and your power and your rule. Well, finally, God's seemingly weak rescue plan. And that's what this is, right? It's a seemingly weak rescue plan. Here we are, though, thousands of years later. God's intent was and still is to bless the nations. He did it by calling one man out of idolatry and shame, out of the scattered peoples of the earth, into relationship, into covenant with him. And with great patience through opposition and trials, one family became a nation, and through that nation, God's seemingly weak rescue plan just continued to unfold. God's promise to bless the nations through Abram's offspring finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And let me show you what the New Testament says about that. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter three. Verse seven, Paul writes to the church of Galatia, he says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the nations by faith, Preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the uh, nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, now look at verse 13 of this same chapter. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, non-Jews, the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Okay? One more section here in this chapter, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in King Jesus, Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All right, all of this leads to Jesus, the promised offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. Remember that promise? There would be a wounded victor that would come. The serpent would strike his heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the promised offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, the promised offspring through whom all people, all nations can find hope and rest and rescue and salvation. And so this downward spiral of mankind's sin and the curse that it brings has fallen on Jesus. And through Jesus' resurrection, that curse was put to death so that the promise of blessing When I say blessing, I mean God's favor and abundance and life could be ours. Are you getting this? So it's by faith in Jesus that you and I enter into the blessing of Abraham. And so Jesus calls us to leave what we know. Jesus gives us promises to hold on to. And he invites us to respond with faith and obedience. God's hard-to-grasp promises are still finding fulfillment as people place their faith and trust in Jesus. So where's this all going? I'll tell you where this is all going. This is all going, we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages were standing before the throne and they're crying out with a loud voice, a shout of victory, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's where this is going. So where does your inspiration to press on in faith and obedience come from? When the odds are just stacked against you, when hope seems lost, when you have no idea how God will make a way in the face of obstacles and circumstances that you don't have an answer uh, to and you can't control, let me encourage you. Let me, let me challenge all of us to follow the thread of God's seemingly weak rescue plan to the promises that are met in Jesus. And let's find all the inspiration that we could hope for there to press on in faith and obedience. Because Jesus is God's answer to the brokenness of humanity. Jesus is God's answer to the dark, uh, spiraling sin of humanity that we see in chapters 3 through 11 of Genesis. This totally unexpected and seemingly weak rescue plan, this provides all the inspiration we could hope for. And so here as we end this series in the book of Genesis, and we in the future will pick up on the life of Abraham, But as we end this series in the book of Genesis, I I pray that what you've walked away with is a foundation, a foundation, a clear understanding of of God's heart because each narrative that we've read, that we've explored, remember we talked about as a window into God's heart. We see his character. 
but also a mirror that reflects our own, the brokenness of humanity, right? But we've not been left there because chapter 12, against this dark backdrop of these former chapters, provides this beautiful picture. Oh, it seems so weak, but these promises that are held up high, and they shine so bright against the the dark backdrop of those former chapters, don't they? And we wonder, God, how? How will you do this? And we follow that thread through the storyline of redemption that leads to Jesus. We hold on to what promises have been fulfilled in Christ and what promises have been given through Christ. What it means for our lives now, forgiveness of sins and eternal life in him. His presence, his power. Oh, find your inspiration there, church. Find your inspiration there. And we don't just leave it here with us as if local church St. Pete is the end game. It's not. Instead, let's lean into God's missionary heart. Do you see it? Lean into God's missionary heart and find the inspiration that we need to press forward in faith and obedience that we might see Revelation chapter 7, all nations, all peoples, finding abundant life in Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this, this story of, of promise, this story of, of deliverance out of idolatry, out of darkness. We thank you for the promises that Abram was given to hold on to and how they've been met in you, Jesus. We thank you that, Lord, we too have promises that we're holding on to. Help us to move forward and find inspiration as we look to those promises to walk by faith and obedience. And Lord, for anyone who's here today who has been wrestling with faith or had been, has been struggling um, to find a renewed faith in you, Lord, would you bring that here even now? We trust you, Lord. But for all of us, we need inspiration. We need strength. We need renewal. And so I, I pray, Lord, you know it's been my prayer that we as a church would find that inspiration in the promises that you have given to us and that you have fulfilled In Jesus' name, amen.